Now then, the little message today on one of the most emotional passages in world history, I think, in literature. Have you seen that picture um, with uh, the man's hand touching God's by Michelangelo, that one? Um, the creation of Adam, it's called. And uh, but I'm not sure about it, really. Like, can we go halfway up to God and meet him? And he just does that, and we're already there to meet him. I'm not sure we can reach up and, like, meet God halfway for our biggest needs, like peace with God, or to love our neighbor, or to love him. I'm, in my experience, I'm absolutely rubbish at that, and I can't even go halfway up. Like, if heaven's perfect, I cannot earn it myself. Rubbish. I can't go halfway. Although that might be harsh on Michelangelo, because that's Maybe not what he's trying to do there. I haven't looked into why the meaning behind that one. But if it does mean us and God meet on this wonderful journey together of us getting to heaven, that's not my story. might not be yours either. And um, I think John chapter 18 represents a God that comes all the way down for people who can't go up, all the way down to a valley to raise us up because we can't do it ourselves. And John 18 teaches he's a safe pair of hands who's just going to get us there because we can't do it ourselves. So I got a question, um, then I'm going to close that door there because there's a draft coming in for me. And uh, so, oh, thanks, Cara. Hey, that wasn't like a subtle message. I was going to do it. Honest, it was. I'm going to make myself a cup of tea now as well. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> the two sugars. Thanks, Cara. Here's a question. Have you got an older brother? Uh, right. I never had one. Oh. I had three older sisters. I hear in school it's good to have an older brother around because he lifts you up. When he's around, you feel up. And you can keep going in the playground if your older brother's around and he's a point of pride and he carries... The family name in the playground, and if you're going through stuff, you can turn to your older brother and he shoulders your burdens. Is that accurate? <laughs> For some, it should be. Um, my younger son tells his friends what his older brother can do, because I've heard him. Oh, you should see my brother. He does the Rubik's Cube. Or he goes, um, he goes... He's built like the Star Wars Lego spaceship. You should come and see what my brother's done. And um, he can do the scale of C on the piano. So at the moment, it is working like that in our house. It's quite the point. I guess it doesn't work when they get a bit older. They don't like each other much anymore. But it doesn't have to go like that, does it? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus is called the older brother of Christians, our elder brother. And you're going to see him in this message acting like an older brother, at least how an older brother should be. And you're going to see that he's not an older brother that you trifle with in the playground or in life. And the Bible teaches, actually, it's, a, it's quite a scary prospect to fall on the wrong side of the Son of God. And he talks, actually, about a lot in, about judgment more in the New Testament than the Old. He's always talking about what he can do um, if people like step in the wrong ways. But he, he wants to help 
But some people hate him. And then they find out that doesn't always go well. And here, he's on his way to do older brother things. And I'm going to read chapter 18, verse 1. Are you ready? When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was an olive grove. And he and his disciples went into it. So he crossed a brook. You know what a brook is? So they walked across that patch of water there. And if you're interested in the Old Testament, like me, Jesus is the king of Israel. He's about to be rejected in this chapter. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23, another king of Israel, David, crosses the very same brook. And Jesus is about to be rejected by people. David, in that chapter, was being rejected by people. Jesus is about to divide people and opinion. David had divided people and opinion into Samuel 15. David was going somewhere, and people were crying because they don't want him to go. But there's one big difference. David, um, he escaped his enemies, if you remember that chapter. Jesus doesn't. Here they are, both kings, and they're crossing the same brook. So don't let that detail wash over you. i got another question to keep you awake. Have you got somewhere you like to go to keep away from the world? Have a little time, a little break. Where do you go? Don't have to shout it out, just think. You got a place? Well, if you have, the living God gets that and why you do that. And for him, the Son of God here goes to a garden. So if you're into gardens, there you go, it's quite a godly thing to do. And I'm putting that in because a lot of us in 2020, we're workaholics. But, so we need to remember that it's good to rest. Do you do that? Or have you got some view of godliness that never allows you just to take a break? Because Jesus goes to a place to rest. So make sure you rest. It's not godly to work all the time. And um, if someone gets annoyed at me, like, most of you know where to find me if you want to come at me, because my places really range from here to the manse or Teresa's Cafe. I'm in one of those three places most of the time. Or, if you can't find me there, because I'm withdrawn, you can get me on email, and you've all got my email address as well. And um, so, do you go places where you're trying to get away, a little bit of rest? Where's yours? Jesus loved this spot, but the problem is, like you would find me here, people know where to find Jesus. And not just any old people. Judas, who betrayed him, verse 2, knew their place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns, and weapons. So imagine it, everybody. Um, you're having a little break with your friends, and all of a sudden, a big troop of soldiers come marching down Reader Penai Road, and this building starts shaking, and they're shouting, and the torches are in the air, 
and they're coming for you. Problem with the Bible is, well, <laughs> preachers don't often start a sentence like that, do they? The problem with the Bible is, it's all bound into one neat book in the modern world, so we sometimes forget these are historical documents put together, and something's lost if you just read it like any old, like, tale. This actually, historically, is recorded to have happened, and they're marching to find one person to kill him. It's quite moving. If you wanted to catch me, you'd send one person, or perhaps even a small child, because I'm not the prop forward I used to be. But why are so many people coming for one man? You just send one for me, maybe one for you, maybe two at max. I think an entire detachment of troops are coming for him because all the powers of hell want Jesus gone as well. What, gone for good. If, like Satan can get rid of this one, then there is no hope for anyone. So it's really ramped up a notch here. I don't know how many there are. I've read loads of books. Everyone says a different number, but there was a lot of soldiers, an exaggerated amount for one person. And remember, the Lord Jesus Christ has committed no crime or sin, and he's about to be killed for being the only one of us ever who's truly good, like absolutely good. And then that when you're around him, you're either warmed by that or you get agitated and you want him gone. And these guys are agitated and embarrassed by the standard of heaven shown in Jesus. True goodness, they want him gone. If Jesus painted Michelangelo's picture, the creation of Adam, he doesn't say that we're good enough. He doesn't. He just said his father's good enough and it's being shown in him. So there are no hands raised to heaven in this story that we're all just earning our wonderful way and we just love everyone all the time and we never sin. Like the only hands raised towards God here have got weapons in them because they want to kill him. If I had an older brother, I think, uh, I wonder if there'd be a point at which he'd say, I'm now done protecting Owen. It would probably be at the point where an entire army was coming down Rita Penai Road to kill me. He'd go, I like Owen, but not that much. You can have him. And I'll protect him to a point, because we're a bit like that as humans, aren't we? But I won't die for him. There may be actually someone you would die for, because Jesus says we are capable of loving someone that much. But... It's even less likely you're going to die for someone if, like, they've treated you terribly, like Jesus gets treated so often. If I've ignored my older brother my whole life, he's probably less likely to die for me or stand up for me in front of this army. But nevertheless, Jesus, and this is another reason why we worship him here and not others, he still goes all the way in. And soon in chapter 19, further still to the darkest regions of hell to like break the powers of darkness over people. I told you this before once. I had a, I've got a friend and he's very clever. He's a physicist 
and um, he was in a rugby team, and some of his rugby teammates weren't as clever as him, and um, during exam times in school, they would elbow my friend and uh, to get my friend to fill out the answers on the exams. So there was this little like um, conveyor belt of exams going forward up the hall to my friend. He'd fill out the answers and he'd yawn and drop it back. And then the exams would make their way back. And uh, to the teacher's surprise, like the rugby team were all first class physicists <laughs> somehow. And, um, but then my friend said though, he became a Christian later and he said, I love my friends and I do that for them. But what I wouldn't do is swap names with them. Like, I wouldn't receive their exam, scribble out their name, put my name on it, and get an F, and let them scribble their name out on mine and get an A. I don't love them that much to swap places with them. There's a line we often draw. And um, linked to that about us really needing someone to swap with us if we're go, going to go to heaven. Um, I was reading something on marriage guidance this week, and um, a woman said this, My grandmother advised me, don't marry a man for the attributes you admire. Marry him because you can stand his faults, because they will only get worse. <laughs> what do you think about Who's laughing? All the women are laughing, man. But there's some wisdom in that. I guess. But, like, the women laugh at the man's faults. I'm sure the men are thinking, oh, no, 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 got something on you as well. I'll have you know. But Jesus, like the Bible says, God knows all of our faults, and they often get worse as we get older. And, though, he's still going through this journey to do what? The Bible says he marries the church, which is full of people like us. And he's still going. I'm just trying to emphasize the point that this journey through chapter 18 is really unlike anybody else. There's never been a more loved or hated character in world history than Jesus. No, there hasn't been. He still divides people. And if you follow him today, you'll find that people are divided about their opinions of you as well. And really strange, if you follow like absolute rotters, like some of the celebrities, people tend to like you. But when you get involved with Jesus and Christianity, you become like Marmite. It's a strange upside-down thing, that. So the journey through the valley goes on. I'm just going to read verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, he went out and asked them, who is it that you want? So there you go. You go out the porch. They filled the car park and half of Rita Penai Road, and you step up and you say, who, who do you want? And Jesus replies, um, well, they reply and say, we're looking for Jesus. And then he speaks in verse 5. Listen to this belter. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, we're looking for him. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. He says, I am. If you write, I am who I am, in Hebrew, squash it down, you get this word Yahweh, which you might have heard of. That's what he said. That's the word he says there. That's the name of God. In English, 
It also gets translated as the Lord. It's translated as the Lord 6,800 times in the Old Testament. Mostly the Son of God uses it for himself. Sometimes the Father uses that name for himself. Sometimes they both use the name for themselves in the same verse, Genesis 19.24. Here's the Son of God claiming that name for himself again. He used it in the burning bush as the angel of the Lord with Moses. I am, Exodus chapter 3. And what he does when he says it, he just peels back the curtain slightly on who he is. I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He says that. Before you woke up today, I am. When you need a friend and everybody else has rejected you and you are lost and out for the count and judged by society, you are finished. You've lost everything. You're depressed. You're guilty. You don't know where to go. I am. That's how he uses it in the Bible. These days, people reinvent themselves all the time from like month to month. A lady was telling me yesterday that um, leggings are back in style. And um, she said to me, they're never going to go out of style. And then she told me about her type of leggings, sweaty betties, the most expensive type of leggings. So I said, why would you spend the mo buy the most expensive leggings when leggings come in and out of style? Because I remember leggings in the latter half of the 1980s. Well, I don't really, like the early 90s. Then nobody wore leggings. Now everybody's wearing leggings again. So I was asking her, why would you like, get the most expensive? She had all these reasons. One of the reasons was they're here to stay. I don't think they are. I think one day the people who are wearing leggings now will look back at photos and they'll do what we always do. I can't believe it. Look at me in those leggings. Because I do that with like shell suits, which were around in the 90s. And ladies do it with their hairstyles all the time. Oh, I can't believe I had that. Don't you? Oh. <laughs> anyway, that's just to say, we chop and change. One of my earliest prayers as a little boy, I remember praying in my bedroom, Lord, please turn me into a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. I just want to go to school tomorrow as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And um, it didn't happen. But I, I meant like physically and also morally because I loved the journey they were on against the powers of evil. Now I look back and I'm quite glad that I wasn't turned into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And my point is, our morals and desires chop and change. Our desires for appearance chop and change. In society, ideas of goodness and evil chop and change. And one generation of society looks back to another and says, what you called good is evil. And they would say, what you call good is evil. And they use the same methods to reach those conclusions. So it's an upside down, ever-changing world. We're up and down. We don't know much. We come and we go. Jesus says, I am, which means he stays and he stays. He stays and he stays. I am who I am. Through the ever-changing storms of life, with all the difficulties, Yahweh is eternal, solid, always the same, ever-reliable, 
He is the rock to trust in when everything else is going up and down. And Yahweh here speaks, I am. He speaks. He's spoken before. He's speaking again here. When he spoke before, it says all creation came to being through him. Through him. Do you know what I learned about creation this week? These types of things happen when Jesus historically speaks or things speak through him. Did you know that hippos have pink sweat? I read that that week, this week. That's what happens when Jesus speaks. Do you know why they have pink sweat? Is Dave Williams here? He'd know, wouldn't he? He'd call it out now. He would, I'm going to ring him later. Why do hippos have pink sweat? Just to see. Shall I tell you why they got pink sweat? Um, Because their sweat is a moisturizer, and it's got an antibiotic in it, and it's got sunscreen all rolled into one so they can carry on outside because they've got quite sensitive skin hippos. That's why they got pink sweat. I'll give you another one. Did you know that you've got 37.2 trillion cells in your body all doing a job to keep you alive this morning? I'll give you another one. Did you know that when you take a breath through your nose, your brain decides which nostril will take the most bit of air in based on how much moisture it can give it before it gets into your lungs so you don't have a dry bit of air. So the nose is always switching just so you can have a pleasant day. And the Lord God speaks again here. But this time, he says, I am. And the strongest man of the most feared army in world history buckle. And this happens a lot in the Bible. When people see Jesus for who he is, it says every knee bows. Or it says every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. I hear his name being thrown around as if it's nothing in modern society. I just think careful now because the Roman army just fell at this name and his words. It's more than just a throwaway line, the name of Jesus. Why do they fall down? I think that's my last question. Oh, I got one more. Why do they fall down? Is it like a scene in X-Men when storm blows all the lightning and wind over the enemies? Nope. I'll tell you why they fall down. It's a spiritual experience. Maybe it sometimes trickles into the physical as well. It's an experience that probably every Christian has had to varying degrees. It varies in intensities, uh, but it's always significant. And I'll explain it with a question. What happens when you lift a rock off a load of insects? They run away. Why? They're exposed by the light. And people bow when they stand before the Lord and they realize my local standards of whatever it is, goodness, religion, sin, when it's there before the standard of the living God, we're struck, we're exposed, we're revealed. At this moment, their darkness is overwhelmed by the glory of God. The man standing before them is the one that lends them their very breath. And for a split second, they see it, and they're frightened, and they fall. And yet, in John chapter 18, this chapter and others show that 
every Christian on earth has this very same Jesus as their elder brother. This is the voice that breathed the stars, invented the hippos, but he's speaking and he calls everybody each day, come to me, repent of all that life without me, trust me. And I'll close with this. It's my favorite bit of the chapter and it's a throwaway line that you might not notice, but it's not too throwaway to the Christians. It's verse 4. Jesus, knowing all things that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who do you want? It's a subtle but important point to close on. Jesus went forwards to lay down his life. He steps up as a lamb before his shearers to take away sin. He's not some pathetic martyr that we read about and go, oh, didums, bless him. This chapter says he steps up. Our forefathers paint this picture in their sermons. There was a conference once in heaven. Who is going to go to planet Earth knowing what they're all capable of and die for them and raise them to life and bring them here with us? And all of the angels' wings just dropped and went behind their backs. One hand went up. Jesus the Son of God, I'll go. In John chapter 15, they try to give him a crown. He hides away. In John chapter 18 and 19, they give him a cross. He steps up. Why? Because God loves you. You understand? He loves you. And he loves to redeem you, make you whole, and bring you home. See, I bow to Jesus not just for the hippo pink sweat thing. I bow because his glory is most clearly seen, not as the star breather, but on his journey to Calvary, where he would hang in the place for me, taking the judgment I deserved, defeating the death I should have to bring me to everlasting life. So have you seen that picture of Michelangelo that picture made by him where he's reaching halfway up. It's not my story. doesn't need to be mine because our Jesus comes all the way down to the valley and beyond. Hope that's your story too. Hope you have a wonderful day trusting in this very capable Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.